You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Welcome to Flipping Tables, episode 70. I'm one of your hosts, David Lyons. And I'm your other host, Mike Edwards. And this is... Mike, I think it's fair to say there's going to be a WWDC heavy episode. Is that that fair? Yeah, unfortunately. If you hate Apple stuff, you might as well just skip this episode because there's just going to be a lot of it. Yeah, but fortunately, I think that actually a lot of good news came out of this. There's some some interesting things, some some open yeah. sourcey things, some some opening up API things. There's There's a lot of good stuff in there, but we do... Have a little bit of follow up first. Yeah, um, the the Reddit button is over, and uh, I don't know if anybody was waiting on pins and needles to find out how this <laughs> finished. Um, I'd honestly forgotten about it, but were you kind of underwhelmed by the conclusion of this? I was. It just like stopped. <laughs> yeah. Just like, and it's over. Not with a bang, but with a whimper. Yeah. Apparently, a whole bunch of people got zero second presses, which I guess was part of the experiment. Like everyone thought that that would end it. When it got to zero seconds, but then it got to zero seconds and just nothing happened. It just <laughs> just kept going. There was a, just a human behind the curtain. Nothing yeah. special. Yeah, seriously, all along, it was just a stupid bald guy in a green suit. <laughs> but Did you ever press? Nope. Yeah, me either. Partially because I forgot about it yeah. completely. Um, partially because I, I decided not to press. Maybe that's why I subconsciously pushed it out of my mind so I wouldn't be tempted to be a filthy presser. <laughs> uh, well, all those people now you know it's like a uh, it's like a cult dissolved like all these people now have to go back to their normal lives <laughs> it's like this weird shock of re-entry <laughs> <laughs> and uh i think um kind of a, a connector piece so this was something i wanted to talk about um a few weeks ago but i read this great article on medium about uh how you can only do these app mashups the author calls them on android and i don't know if the timing of his article was specific i suspect it was because i think his app was actually featured at google io and he probably (laughs) knew that that was coming but basically uh the example he put forward is he uh he has an app that pulls in this beautiful artwork from museums and it sets it as the wallpaper on your phone that's cool it's called musy and then he tied it to the watch API, so the the Android Wear API, so that it will actually make your watch face have the same wallpaper, and it even uses the cool Android color picker magic that it uses in some of the apps, and it changes the numbers on the watch face to match the wallpaper so that it never clashes. And, I mean, whether or not you think that particular use case is impressive, he makes a good point that... You you can't really do that on on iOS. Like they just no. they do not allow for that level of chaining things together, kind of Unix style, <laughs> just pipes. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's definitely like a different way of thinking about computing, but I think it's an important way because monolithic programs tend to suck. I mean, look at like Microsoft Office, which is <laughs> like each of those tools got so bloated and so horrible they had to reinvent the we way they like presented three buttons. minutes <laughs> <laughs> okay 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 um uh 
I, do you want to go industry specific? How about Blackboard? Sure. <laughs> or just like Adobe in general. Adobe is another great example. Like they had to change the way like palettes are displayed and the, the toolbox is displayed. And like GIMP tried to do it with like floating toolboxes, which I've heard some people really like. I like every time I look at it, I'm like, ah, oh, why aren't they on the edge of the screen where they belong? <laughs> Get out of here, toolboxes. My car gets 40 rods to the hog's head. <laughs> and that's the way I like it. Um, yeah, but I mean, that's so I'm not specifically shitting on Microsoft because people want that stuff. Like th- this is not Microsoft's fault or Adobe's fault or it is Blackboard's fault, but it's, you know, people, they just demand more features, more, do more stuff. And, you know, you need somewhere yeah. to shovel all those tools and then you get a cluttered, horrible, broken interface. And it's, I get that. Like some people want the power chain and not everybody does, but you can't argue that you can do things on Android or, or in Unix, you know, with that kind of philosophy that you can't do on iOS. And I think deep down, that's where you get that sort of dividing line. Cause the nerds I know that prefer iOS are not the kind of people that want super fine grain control over their their stuff you know they're nerdy but they're just nerdy in a different way yeah they're nerdy and i want to focus on the certain things i want to care about and not worry about the other things yeah exactly which i'm actually kind of surprised now that i think about it that that attracts me about android because i have never identified with like the pc hacking crowd (laughs) people who like water cool and overclock and track their fan performance i'm like what compile your own kernels and (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm just i'm i'm not that guy um but i think that is that is a a good little segue into um wwdc so that happened and uh and el capitan is a thing now my first comment though about (laughs) wwdc is oh my god it was so long it was so long (laughs) It was by my clock about like two hours and 20 minutes at least. Yeah. And I, I, I want to be upfront um, with you, Mike. Uh, I know you watched it live and I'm glad you did, but I was doing something else at the time. I was bummed. I didn't get to watch it live. And I just, I'm not going to go back and watch the recording. <laughs> no. I'm just, I'm not. You um, got to watch might the, jump. the guy that always makes the one minute version. Yeah. Right. Just what is it? Uh, amazing. What was it last wow. year? Was it amazing? revolutionary amazing revolutionary amazing (laughs) you're gonna love it yeah that's (laughs) that guy is doing god's work (laughs) um but this uh, the twitter stream like i i had no idea how much funnier people treated apple events than they treat google (laughs) io like people whether you're pro Google or not, isn't what I'm getting at. Like people during Google IO, like they were very stoic and they were like, Oh, that's an interesting feature. Or, Oh, I don't think that's really that big of a deal. I don't know why they're talking about this. And, and it was very like reasonable ish for the internet. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, remember what part of the world we're talking about. Uh, but during the WWDC keynote, people were just freaking out high and low. Like, Everything was either the the finaliest finally in all of finally 10 or it was like, oh, this is so stupid. I can't believe they're still talking about this. Like, did you feel that way with the people you oh, follow? Oh, it's boring demo time. Oh, stop with the dad jokes. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's just nonstop. And I mean, a lot of these people are like self-professed huge Apple fans, like big time yeah. Apple supporters still making like these pot shot jokes, like taking cheap shots. And I was just like, okay. I guess 
like that's what you get when you have these super ultra diehard fans is like these extreme highs and extreme lows. <laughs> well, one of my favorite tweets was Merlin Mann saying during the extended hour long music section, um, <laughs> he just said, I think they're just going to have people keep talking about whatever this is until you leave. <laughs> yeah. And I, I kind of, I saw a couple of people tweet like, they felt like the music section was artificially extended um, to cover up for something else, which seems so rumor mill conspiracy theory to me. And yet it did seem disproportionately large, didn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Maybe there was an Apple TV. They were going to unveil that they, I don't know. Everyone believes they were intending to do that and then had to pull it. But who knows? Yeah. The Apple TV, the iPad pro, the, the Apple car. But I mean, then, I've never put on an event of this magnitude. Like I've, I've been involved in scheduling events before, but nothing quite like this, but wouldn't you just shorten it? Like, yeah. wouldn't you just shorten the event by 15 or 20 minutes or whatever? Like, especially when you, you're already clocking in at two hours, it, it seems like yeah. referencing the Apple TV that we didn't get that now the internet deserved, but, um, <laughs> that uh, Apple subscribes to the Gandalf theory of timing that they, the new Apple product arrives precisely when it means to It's never early or late. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think didn't Steve jobs actually say maybe it was Tim cook. I feel like someone at Apple said something like we're not trying to be first to market, but we're always best to market or, or something corny. Yeah, like, or like we're, yeah, we're not always first to a new feature, but we'll, we'll do it right or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there, there's a lot of times they're probably, you know, that's probably not just blowing smoke. Um, and I'm looking at our rundown and I'm realizing, uh, there's no way we're going to be able to go in a coherent order. So I say, we soldier on. Yeah. Um, I do want to call out one more thing about the format of the entire event, and that's that uh, Tim Cook completely skipped the cheerleading of we sold a billion new widgets and the here's a new store we opened on Mars. Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, and do you, do you feel like um, I, I got the sense from the stuff that I was seeing and reading and hearing that Apple also, like Google, was trying to kind of pull this back to being developer focused like they didn't announce stuff that wouldn't be interesting if you weren't like super techie i'd say it's it's a mixed bag i mean the the whole music announcement is purely consumer news that one is yeah um but i i guess almost everything else you could argue was developer focused um well i don't know the the shaky mouse zoom thing (laughs) (laughs) well that's you know, all the developers in the audience are thinking like, yes, that tech idiot relative I have, I'll never have to tell them like, it's right there. It's there. It's or there. or Top anyone who runs their retina screen at native res and not at a, a zoom. You mean the correct resolution? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so I, let's, let's just talk about Apple music. It came at the end of, of the keynote, but I, let's, we're already there. So, um, I had a conversation with somebody on Twitter where I basically said, the reason I'm not blown away by this isn't because we've seen it before. It's not because it's basically a Spotify competitor. It's not because of any like technological reasons. It's just unlike most people in in this country and maybe in the world, I am willing to admit that music is not that important to me. Like am I, 
I mean, you're a musician, so like yeah. where you get your music and how the artists are paid and how it's stored and do yeah. you actually own it or are you streaming it? I guess it just depends on what you mean by important because I do think like in terms of app usage, music is like in the top three things people do with technology. See, and here's the thing though. I don't remember anyone freaking out when they could get like a tape cassette in their car or a CD in their car because they didn't want to spend money on music because it's not important to them. So they listened to whatever garbage was on the radio. Yeah. And that's the way I feel about streaming services now is it's like I have zero loyalty to the streaming service because I have zero loyalty to what is being played on it. Mm -hmm. Like, especially for like me in particular, and I know I'm a little bit unusual in this case, but if I'm listening to like ambient music or electronica or chiptune or something like that's, I don't care where that's coming (laughs) from. Like it's the service doesn't matter. The artist doesn't even particularly matter. It's just like ambient noise. So it's not like, Oh, I have to be on beats, Apple music so that I can get the latest track from Dr. John. Like none of, (laughs) none of that matters to me. And I really don't think I'm unusual. I think most people want to act like music is important to them. Well, I think the, the music industry is kind of at a what what steam has done for pc gaming is take well people just want to pirate this crap so let's solve the service problem so that we convert people who aren't going to buy cd's into people that pay for a streaming service and so like you might say well spotify's kicking ass right now and they have like 30 million listeners or 50 i can't remember the number but um it's not in like in the the entire list of humans with access to computers Spotify's share of humans that could be listening to music is actually very small. And yeah, so I think there's, there's like 2 billion people on the internet. It's a lot. So there's a sense of like, there's a huge market here that hasn't been captured yet uh, of people who are never going to buy CDs, but maybe they could be convinced to spend a monthly rate to just not worry about how they get music. Yeah, and I will say that Although streaming services uh, actually predated a lot of, sorry, streaming music services predated most popular streaming video services, they do seem to be playing catch up in Mindshare. Like, you can find any random person and be like, hey, what streaming service do you use? And they'd be like, Netflix, duh, or maybe Hulu Plus, or maybe Amazon Prime if they're already like a Prime user. But I think if you were like, hey, what music subscription do you have? They'd be like, what? Columbia Records? I don't... I just go to YouTube. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So, I mean, it's just kind of a weird thing. And I mean, I get this all the time. Like I, when I was a teenager, I always felt like such an outsider because like people would just talk about music like all the time, like what bands they were listening to. And then as I got older, I was like, I don't, I don't think any of you actually care. I think you feel like you're <laughs> supposed to care because we're kids. And no, then like when I got into college, when you turn like, 33, you stop listening to new music and you just freeze. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Did you did you talk about that on bits and pieces? Yeah, and also I think with Storm Glor a little bit. Yeah, because that's like I've that does feel like one of those shocking like you look back at fifty and you're like, huh, the last album I bought was you know when I got that <laughs> gift card the to the iTunes of the store. Thing I heard when I was twelve. <laughs> yeah, but I mean I don't I don't know like I'm not I mean I don't want to go too far off here further than we already have, but it's. I don't know. Music services, like I'm not interested. They don't excite me. And the fact that they spent such an amount of time on this, that even the Apple people, like the big fans were like, dude, 
Stop. <laughs> well, it was when they were like bringing Drake out, and Drake was just like on this long meandering rant about bringing his art to people, and it didn't seem to like have it to do with anything. It was just a little weird. Well, and, and so, okay, so do any of those features, the connecting with artists and stuff like, does any of that speak to you at all? I I don't feel like I understand it yet. Like, <laughs> I mean, it looks like it's trying to you know. Yeah, be a social network. And they said, I just don't think I saw enough to really get what they're doing. Um, Because if it's just ping, if it's just like this weird um, megaphone from big artists saying, hey, check out my new album, it's who cares? I'm not going to look at that thing. Um, If they actually somehow capture regular people's conversations and interactions about music, then they have a chance. But I don't know. People don't. Like people use like texting for that or right or Facebook, like, Hey, you got to check out this song. It's amazing. Yeah. Like if if you want to tell me about a new album or something, you're not going to go to the, the tool you talk about music (laughs) on. You're going to go to the tool you talk. Well, we encountered this with, uh, it was on a bits and pieces recently. There was like a music specific communication app and I was just like, like yeah i talk about bands and songs i like sometimes but is there enough of just that category of communication for a dedicated tool for it and is there benefit to segregating it like yeah. what do i gain by not polluting my google hangouts chat with talk <laughs> of albums yeah i mean just to rattle off some of the other aspects of this um i mean it seems like apple's whole pitch was trying to make a cultural argument about like there's all these tech companies making streaming services and all have big libraries and we got, we totally get it. And, um, <laughs> I don't know if you buy this at all. Probably not. But, um, the phrase they used was there's a complete thought about music here. It's not just an app that streams, but that, that somehow they've captured an, an ecosystem of how people interact with music. You mean like play and skip and change the volume? <laughs> well, I did like someone's snarky tweet. Like, apparently, this new streaming service will have songs. So, this is a big coup for Apple. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the kind of snark I just, I don't feel like I got it, Google I.O. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, my first impression is well, it's like Spotify. If you prefer to do the full vertical integration with Apple, then you have an option now. Um, I mean, notably, they are making PC and Android apps for this. Um, we'll see, see if it's... That's it, a big deal. Yeah. Because I, I saw an article where the entire point of the article was basically, Android is so big, even Apple cannot ignore them. And the fact that it's for Apple Music specifically, I don't think it's necessarily heralding, oh, they're going to start making you know all this stuff, there's going to be Safari for Android, I don't feel like that's necessarily the case, but, and and you and I were talking about this earlier, like they have this kind of thing with music where like they need to be known as this source of music. And I think part of it is their image, but my gut reaction is that a lot of it is because it's the most passive income. Like if you have a platform where you sell someone else's product that you just take a cut of, like say the app store, <laughs> like that is, you can't get a higher profit margin than we make money for doing no work. Yeah. I mean, that's like for them to control that, that revenue or, you know, even just a portion of it is huge. So what well, I mean, the just de- like iTunes was eventually added to windows. 
yeah. Apple Music being on Android is the same thing. Like, you know, hey, we would rather you were on an iPhone, but more than that, we want your money. I guess the, the devil's advocate or the apologist argument about this is like same point, but a positive spin on it is uh, that Apple built an ecosystem where they captured people who are willing to pay for these things and uh, take care of the infrastructure and the billing and um, the customer relationship that makes people comfortable paying for things all the time. And so that's like not an easy feat that someone else is welcome to try to do. Um well, so then wouldn't you say if they're putting their store onto Android, isn't that like tacitly admitting, yeah, Android users are willing to spend money and we're willing to write an app to allow them to spend money? Or it's people are willing to spend money with us and we're going to prove it even in foreign territory. I don't know. Ooh. See, now <laughs> we've gotten nuanced enough that this is like <laughs> nerd fight because you can't really substantially prove either yeah. one of those. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I do think there's a small argument to be made about, yeah, we, we built a, an ecosystem and, and it's easy to pay for things and people already have credit cards on file. And if you want access to this system, yeah, there's a premium. You owe us a percentage. Yeah. I, just, I mean, it definitely feels like um, this is... And I'm not knocking them for this because... And, and we should talk about this next, the whole privacy thing, but... I feel like music and apps is it's a really good source of revenue for them. And uh, someone uh, that I follow on Twitter was uh, freaking out about some of the stuff they were adding to um, the iPad, the, you know, for OS or iOS was it nine. Yeah. And uh, then all of a sudden there's just like this rage tweet where he was like, iPad two only what the like just, Oh, the multitasking. Yeah, just not happy. It's and, the uh, first iOS device that has more than one gig of RAM. I'm just going to point out. No, I'm not saying it isn't <laughs> technologically justified, but I think you could also make an argument that Apple really, really needs planned obsolescence to exist because, th- like we're going to talk about in a second, they don't sell your data and they don't do that, which means if you're not buying hardware and you're not installing apps and you're not buying music, they're not making any money. Yeah. If you have a six-year-old Mac and you think it runs just fine, then they they don't like you. You you don't <laughs> line their pockets. You don't let them build the thinnest, lightest MacBook we've ever seen. Though I mean, I will point out they while they do fragment that that dirty word um, on some of the features that iOS nine runs on every single device that runs iOS eight, and the same for El Capitan. Anything that can run Yosemite will run El Capitan. That's fair. See, I'm not begrudging them that. What I am begrudging them is uh, anybody who had like what was it, the 4s when they went to iOS 8. Like, yeah, yeah you could install it, but it basically runs so slowly it renders the <laughs> device unusable. So yeah. it's like it you're you're almost mistake. punishing people <laughs> by allowing them to install it just so you can put up on your slide and be like, yeah, everybody. And I mean, it's not. It's I don't a catch twenty two though, because if they don't provide it, then it's oh, planned obsolescence. They're forcing us to buy a new iDevice. Oh no, there's no good way to win this. <laughs> like, I'm I'm definitely not saying they're like evil. Like, oh, we need you to buy new devices. But I mean that that is the the thing that makes their business run because yeah. that's where they get the bulk of their income is on selling physical devices. So if they drive software innovation that requires newer, better hardware. Then you need newer, better hardware. Like it's just, it's going to follow that it pulls forward. I mean, that's their whole thing. The shiny new one, right? Yeah. 
So, this is one one thing about Chromebooks I always thought was interesting, where they were like, when you buy a Chromebook, it just gets better over time. And it's like, whether or not they actually delivered on that promise, but the fact <laughs> that they, that was like the pitch they made, and then with an Apple device, it's like, when you buy an Apple device, it will allow you to order your next Apple device. <laughs> That's a little extreme. Um, it is. Let's I'm, get now, into some I'm just trying other. to balance out all that Microsoft bashing I do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, so maybe let's, let's hop back to the, the bigger, uh, the, the Papa OS is of Yosemite and well, not Yosemite OS 10 and iOS. So El Capitan got a, a whole raft of stuff, but I, I kind of want to focus in on, um, search because this is kind of the big frontier for Apple. Um, some, another, like another direct attack on Google's strength, which is kind of bold. And uh, so some of the stuff Apple announced regarding search is um, in Spotlight and in some other search boxes like in the Finder and in Mail and stuff, um, there's a lot more natural language context stuff. Like you can be like emails from lions that I ignored and it'll find stuff I didn't reply to that was from you. Um, (laughs) Little things like that that demo nicely. I don't know if in practice they're actually that useful, but... um, and well, then, and this, so in the demo, they only showed this working with Apple stuff. Is that right? Um, it was Mail and Finder and Spotlight, and then on the iOS, it was the the, the equivalent Spotlight search or Siri voice right. searches. So, I mean, y- you don't use Apple Mail, do you? Not on OS ten. I use it on iOS. Okay, and you know, I've actually heard this partly quite a because bit of the- Stockholm syndrome, but. <laughs> I have heard quite a bit that the iOS stock Apple apps are often superior to the desk. Cause I mean, I don't use either like on my iPad. I don't use any of the stock Apple apps Yeah, and, and on OS 10, I don't either. I don't know why the, the OS 10 mail app, maybe it's just a Gmail thing, but it just does not work that well. Um, it seems like it's constantly syncing stuff. It shouldn't be worrying about. And like, it just like I don't know. It's just weird little annoyances and paper cuts. Whereas on iOS, the Mail app works great with Gmail. It works perfectly great, and I still have the Gmail app installed because it searches my mail better. But that's really the only time I use it. Because so, so the Stockholm uh, yeah. syndrome I referenced is <laughs> in most apps. If you tap like the email this button, it opens the native app. So at the very least. I leave an account installed even if I don't use the native app so that when I tap that button, I can still email things. Yeah, that's... So this is a please give me default apps kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and that's... uh, So like the search, let's, let's pretend it only works with the Apple stuff. Do you ever find yourself wanting to do a search like this? Like, do you, do you think this kind of natural language search would would be useful to you? I think it's mostly useful in the maps context of like, where can I eat? Where the hell is that video store? Whatever kind of thing. Video store. What am I going to rent? <laughs> like a VHS tape. <laughs> you going to rent like the, uh, that context. The, and the they actually added anniversary release of Aladdin. So, I mean, if I'm including search as a very broad category. So another huge thing they unveiled was basically a Google now type clone, um, that they were calling, a uh, proactive that's what they called it um so basically ios will try to read things in your email and calendar and other things for context like google now does to surface things preemptively and then so this is going to get to our big conversation and uh, the way apple was pitching it 
was a, a heavy privacy angle. So they made it a point to say, this happens on the device, and if for some reason we do have to ping the network for some information, it's anonymous, it's a randomized identifier, we don't know anything about it, third parties don't get anything about it, it's not linked to your ID. And so this is kind of the broader argument of like, not only is Apple attacking search, but they're attacking the data collection business model. And the question is, will they succeed? Can they make as good of a product this way? And will people care? Uh, I'm going to go with, will they succeed? No. Can they make as good of a product? No. Will people care? No. I don't (laughs) think people care about their privacy. Okay, so... Here's my thing, and I'm actually thinking of an aspect of this I hadn't thought of before, but let me get to the part I've actually thought through for more than five seconds. I have seen, and anyone within the sound of my voice has seen, people trade away privacy and and security for convenience every single day. <laughs> A lot of times they don't even realize they're doing it, but that's not the problem a lot of times they do realize they're doing it and they just do not care. People who make the the pin code on their garage door 1234 or, or on their iPhone is 1234 or 0000 or whatever. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, these, it's like I would rather have it require no thought for someone, a stranger, to get to my bank account app than for me to have to remember four numbers. Like, <laughs> that's just... The kind when I mean when you're talking about hundreds of millions of people, you're going to have a lot of people who prefer convenience over security, and I don't see how you could possibly have a service as powerful as Google Now when it knows. And, and this is actually true of Cortana. You want to give some props to Microsoft because <laughs> Cor- Cortana actually does behave way more like Google Now than it does like Siri. So you have something that knows your email, your calendar, where you are, the people in your contacts list, your photos, where you've been recently, where you're going next week. Um, you know, you have a flight book, you have these habits, which is what are all this stuff. There's no way that a service that doesn't know all those things could be as accurate and useful as one that does. Like, if, I mean, just imagine if in a hotel, the concierge had just moved there. He didn't know the area. He didn't know the hotel. He didn't know where the restaurant <laughs> or the bathroom was like that wouldn't there'd be a limit to how much that person could help you. Yeah. Well, if you're right in that people don't care about privacy, then could Apple still make this high minded high road argument if they said, all right, we're going to take your data but we're not going to use it for any business reason. Well, and so this is where it gets fuzzy for me. So if I don't think there's no one that cares about privacy, obviously there are, but I think is their argument, we're not going to use your data for nefarious things, or is it that we're not going to use your data to form a picture of you? Because if they're not forming a picture of you, I don't know how useful they can be overall. Their argument is uh, that they they don't personally keep a picture of you. That on your device, in the moment you needed a picture is formed of you, and then that's discarded and not stored. Yeah, I just I don't think we have the local processing power to do the same kinds of huge things. 
Now, I'm not saying it's going to be useless. I'm sure it can do lots of amazing things like um, what was the restaurant that I got directions to an hour ago or, you know, what's what's the nearest bar to Mike's house? He's in my contacts, something like that. Like, I'm sure they can still do that kind of stuff in real time and not then store it forever and ever and create a web of who I am and who I interact with and blah, blah, blah. But I think there's a very real limit if they have to do all that stuff at the time you ask and it's all got to be encrypted and it all has to be... Well, not just the time you ask. It does the preemptive stuff, so it can do this in the background. Well, right, but if they're not forming a permanent picture of you that's available to them and stored on their servers, then, I mean, can it... And this isn't like a a value judgment, but I mean, it's just like if you have a larger shovel and a small shovel, how can you possibly dig as fast with the small shovel as the big one if they're going at the same speed, right? Like one moves more dirt. I'd want to know from someone who actually works on this stuff for either company or both to know like how like the stuff you need mountains of data for is that niche outlier uses of google now or is that like the core common stuff because i could like what if it's like well they do stuff on device and it stores what it needs encrypted only for you on your device and they can do 90 percent of what you care about like i don't know i'm just throwing numbers out but um it depends on how that shakes out of like oh google now does more but that little niche five percent maybe you don't give a shit about it yeah, no, that's fair. And I think there's also a question to be asked about the concept of anonymity. Um, someone first brought this to my attention quite a few years ago uh, when I first started using Chrome. So you go into Chrome and you open an incognito tab, right? Now no one on the internet knows who you are. Haha, <laughs> of course they do. <laughs> and the, the reason that they are able to figure it out is because there are certain things that individually or even knowing several of them isn't enough to figure out who you are. But when you have like a hundred pieces of data that creates a unique enough fingerprint that somebody can figure out who you are. So if you have something like IP address and user agent string and specs from the laptop that you were using to access the website with and all these other things that are not considered secure private information, there's only so many combinations of those things. But when you have a hundred of them, now you can get into like unique territory. So you can make a super unique fingerprint of someone with air quotes, anonymous information. So I kind of wonder like, is Apple, is it anonymous in the sense that like they don't attach it to your name? Is it anonymous in the sense that not even, you know, Alan Turing could figure out that this was you that did this thing because there's a lot of gray anonymous in between those two yeah. endpoints, you know? Um, I think Apple's stance is we don't store this stuff. We don't build a profile. Like, they actively do not keep stuff about people. Okay. So do any of the services... And I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to rip on them, but if their whole thing is going to be security and privacy, it's like, so do any of the services I interact, can they store this data? Is it part of the agreement that they don't store this data? Well, I don't you know, think I mean, Apple can make claims for what other companies do with what they're able to glean about you. No, but they might at least legally protect themselves by putting it into their agreement. Like, oh, if you're going to tap into this API, you can't 
store anything about the user's device or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I, I just, I feel like this privacy security battle is extremely uphill for extremely little gain and it's falling mostly on deaf ears. Most people don't care. They don't even know the people who know a big chunk of them don't care. They just want the best thing. They don't really care about the most private thing. And more and more as like services like Google now and Cortana get more powerful and more useful. If you can't mimic those features in a secure anonymous way, you're going to have people who just see this device does cool stuff. This device does less cool stuff. I want the one that does the most cool stuff. (laughs) I mean, don't, don't you think that's generally how it is? Like people didn't go from BlackBerry to iOS because it was Unix underneath. Yeah. I guess that the other devil's advocate about this is uh, that the kind of the claim by companies that use your data to make services is there's two different things. Like it's different to say we need your data to make a better service, and we need your data, and we need to make money off of it by either selling it or creating a product based on it that we sell to other people to make a better service. And that's like that's a different thing. And yeah, maybe no one will ever care, and that business model will win because no one ever cares about that. Um, but you know, maybe there's a way forward. And to be fair, I want to separate Google from most of the data mining companies because some of them are really shady. Like, yeah, we'll sell your information to third parties. And I, I don't think people really give informed consent of what that really means. Um, but Google doesn't sell your data to other people. They, they have an ad product that uses your data anonymized to run an advertising business. Yeah, and I, you're absolutely right. There is a very real difference between this company that I said is allowed to know stuff about me, know stuff about me, and this company that I said is allowed to know stuff about me told all of its friends <laughs> yeah. for five bucks a pop. Like, you, you're absolutely right. Those are two very different things. And it's possible that somewhere between those two things is where that power from like Google now or Cortana is coming from. And Apple may be able to duplicate all, you know, like you said, 95% of that functionality using anonymized data, data that's deleted after it's used and, and that kind of thing. So if they can, then I'm for that. Like I want the maximum amount of convenience and security. The problem is those two things are typically inversely related yeah. So we need smart engineers figuring out how to make them scale, you know, together. Like make yeah. as security goes up, convenience can still go up. Well, I just wonder if the market will ever demand it. Will ever say you need to make a better pitch for why you need this data and more transparency about what you're doing with it. Well, fortunately, we have all this horrible, horrible stuff going on with the government that is at least yeah. put the idea of data security onto people's minds, um, whether or not that's actually going to change anything, you know, but, yeah, but it's at least something the average person has heard of. Yeah. So I guess and we don't need to keep beating this horse, but I do think watching, I guess I'll brand this as privacy as a feature. We'll, we'll have to watch this and see if it actually becomes a legitimate market force ever. If people actually care about that. So, I'll, so I will ask a, a tangentially related tangential. I will genitals. ask a question loosely related to this, which is uh, so. Just a couple of days ago, um, Tim Cook gave like a scathing 
like, we need more security. The government shouldn't be able to get into our data. People shouldn't sell your data for ads and sell you as the product. Like, it was really obvious what he was harping on and, and where yeah. he, what his position is. Um, do you think that that's them marketing the security and, and privacy of their platform? Or do you think it feels like aggressively defensive? Um, I, I think it's, I don't know, maybe both. I, I do think it's marketing, <laughs> but I also think I, you know, I don't know the man, but I believe that he actually believes that at least in terms of the government's <laughs> access to data, I think it's a, a principled stand that also happens to feed into the company's PR strategy. So it's like both at the same time. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of, I'm sorry, this happens to be Microsoft, but I'm reminded of Gmail, man. Some of my best friends are Microsoft. (laughs) Fair enough. But do do you remember Gmail, man? Yeah. Yeah. So that was FUD. Yeah. Total. Yeah. And I mean, it was, I'll, I'll throw a link to the, their crazy videos into the show notes, but, and I think we actually might've talked about it once before, but I mean, basically it was a moron ad person who got fired from Microsoft trying to just stir up all this fear about Gmail and how they, they scan through all your mail and blah, blah, blah. And it was like this big joke. Notably something it, Microsoft does now with Outlook. Notably something any single mail server that has spam detection does. Like them scanning your mail is a foregone conclusion if you want spam protection. What they do besides that or with that information, that's a different argument. But saying Outlook doesn't scan your email at all is just, patently false (laughs) yeah i mean it it always has been so there's that but i think like that represented kind of a dark time for for microsoft (laughs) when they were really afraid of google and they really played up the whole security privacy thing and i i mean for them it didn't go very well and they abandoned it and i just i wonder is apple making the same mistake or can they they do it well Thankfully, they haven't made a Gmail man video, but it seems like <laughs> Apple's way of doing it is to casually just drum it up whenever they mention a new major feature of their system. They go, "Oh, by the way, we're not mining your data," <laughs> and it's not like it's not like the number one point of the keynote. It's just this like sub point they bring up whenever possible. Yeah, and maybe maybe that'll be the differentiator where it's like. Hey, this is awesome, and it's just as convenient. Also, it's private. Instead, you know, it's it's the yeah. privacy icing on the the convenience cake. <laughs> uh, so shall we move <laughs> on from from privacy as a feature? Yeah, I kind of um, want to talk about this the metal thing, heavy metal. Yeah. So this was an uh, you were saying before the show. This is an interesting thing where everyone's like. Oh, iOS will eventually be grow up and become OS 10, but really it's like, oh, OS 10 is becoming iOS in some ways. Um, so metal for those who didn't pay attention or don't care, um, but you're listening now <laughs> for the explanation for some reason, um, is, um, Apple basically, uh, switching out in their stack, um, a lower level API for graphics. And, uh, so, all manner of graphics from the OS drawing windows and, and animations to gaming and 3D engines and so forth. And uh, I want to say, um, so other than the fact that we can talk about how OpenGL has kind of been kicked aside for Metal, um, they, they claimed at some point in the keynote that After Effects would have an eight times improvement. And the question I have, 
does this mean that they're just genius engineers or does this mean that things were so bad before? Well, it also is, is it eight times across the board? Is it eight times overall? Like, uh, that's I mean, one of those marketing numbers in the ideal benchmark. Yeah. It was eight times. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, that's a really difficult thing to, to quantify to an end user. I mean, like you do stuff in after effects. So like, will you obviously see it or is it only certain complicated rendering things that are going to see this massive boost? It's, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm glad because I remember when I first got a Mac and I was talking to you about, um, I was playing mirror's edge on a, a very not overpowered MacBook air. And, uh, you explained to me cause I was new to Macs. You were like, well, you have the Apple tax. I was like, what the hell is that? And you were like, well, just games just do not perform as well on comparable hardware because literally the same hardware. If you install windows and run mirrors edge, it will run better on the same. Yeah, exactly. And I just was like blown away by that. And then later I found out that OpenGL is like several versions behind. Yeah. Microsoft has made it a point because they dominate PC games as as a platform um, to constantly push the envelope with DirectX of supporting the latest technologies and you know the most efficient like low level solutions to things and Apple like famously Steve Jobs hated games so like even though games have always sort of been part of Apple's keynotes every once in a while like even the first like TV screen IMAX there was like you can run unreal on it but really it's it's always been a half-hearted thing until iOS and then suddenly Apple's like whoa this gaming thing is like lucrative we should invest <laughs> in it and so i think ever since then they've kind of been slowly building the pieces but i mac gaming has always lagged behind it still lags behind and I, i'm kind of skeptical that metal's going to make a difference but we'll see well, I mean, I would I would settle for performing as w- and I mean, I know they're not going to brag. It performs as well as Windows. Like <laughs> that didn't look good on a slide. Um no matter what San Francisco font you use, but I th- I think um I would just settle for that. And if they can yeah. outclass it, then, you know, all the better. Yeah. Um yeah, that's all I have to say about it, I guess. Um, I mean, I know you game a lot on your iPad. That's pretty much its sole purpose left in your life. Um, so, I mean, do you do you feel like that the fact that games are so popular on iOS is why they even care about this? Maybe, or may, maybe they just saw that they were just going to start lagging behind the competition in all manner of graphics processing, including stuff Apple's traditionally cared about, like pro apps and design apps and uh, art type stuff. Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, we have some friends that work in uh, in professional video, and it always blows my mind how long rendering video takes. Oh where it's God. like, oh, we have this, you know, three three minute movie. I'm going to set it to render so it can run overnight. <laughs> yeah. And I'm looking at the hardware that they're doing this on, and I'm like, what? How <laughs> overnight? Like hours? And, like and many they edit, hours? They edit at a quarter resolution with like these like letterbox like half renders, and it's like, how do you even know <laughs> what the final product's going to be? And I've, I mean, I've been diving into After Effects recently, and. <laughs> Like if I want to see things in real time, I have to do like a little like baby step render into RAM and it just like kicks your project into RAM just for a temporary playback. And that takes like a, 
like say 10 seconds of reasonably normal animation like on my iMac which is a quad core you know relatively recent intel processor and it just takes like minutes or you know depending on how much is going on and it's like ah oh, <laughs> this sucks yeah which seems like it would make the entire creative process pretty much impossible unless you can imagine it all in the theater of the mind. Cause if you make a small tweak, you're not going to be like, well, wait another five minutes to see how that looks. Yeah. And I mean, you can tell after effects does some pretty smart things to only re-render the stuff that changed. And I found that even like if you time shift stuff, but you didn't change internally anything about it, it won't re-render it. And I'm like, thank God. But <laughs> Man, when you when you do something that is on a higher layer that covers everything and you change it across the whole video, it's like you're ready to render it all. So, I mean, that, to me, that is like a big win to me because that makes I would rather see the creative stuff more accessible than the gaming stuff because you get gamers of of all income levels, but they're usually willing to sink quite a bit of money into that hobby. Yeah, and if um, you care about gaming, a Mac is never the right investment. It's so much yeah. less bang for buck than a PC. Yeah, but but a lot of creative professionals want to use, you know, Macs for the software and and the cuz that's what everybody else is using. It's creative professional, so um, you know, making things like video editing, sound editing, uh, photo editing all more accessible and faster and easier like that that to me just like fits the whole Apple thing, like the whole culture. Yeah. Stay the course, metal. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's like this is kind of good news, but I'm kind of like, eh, it's not going to matter that much. But maybe it will. Well, um, and doesn't that make it, doesn't that fit right in with like developer conference news? I know we talked about this yeah, last week true. with Google IOs. Like, you shouldn't be excited. One day your computer should just work better. <laughs> yeah. Um, Unless you're going to develop your own competitor at After Effects, I don't know about. So there's at least two other topics I want to get to. Um, the first one is that they open source Swift. I don't know if we have too much to say about this, but it seems kind of notable for Apple. And to be clear, it's not just that they uh, you know released an open spec and here's the syntax for Swift, but that uh, uh -huh. actually the the standard libraries and the compiler that they provide are open sourced and available on Linux as well. Not just iOS and OS ten, but not Windows. They didn't say Windows because <laughs> <laughs> I want to do Swift development in Visual Studio on Linux. <laughs> Make it happen, Internet. Uh, so, I mean, but no, this this does feel like a really big deal because this these are the kinds of little things to me that point toward an evolution in the way the company views the landscape. Don't you think? Like it's yeah. just. Well, acknowledging that these other platforms even exist. And it's a, yeah, it is, it says something about their stance about wanting this language to prosper in a, a different way than just Apple feeding it in their lab underneath in a cave, but that they actually want the community to contribute to this. Well, I don't know if they're going to accept pull requests, but we'll see. <laughs> well, I mean, I think uh, creating the ability to compile on another operating system is a big deal for one. And if I remember correctly, being able to get to the source and see how things are rendered and knowing like the full stack makes it easy to do weird things like cross compilers. So not easy, but 
possible yeah. to do weirder <laughs> yeah. things like like cross compilers so you can have like a swift to javascript converter or like you write in ruby and it converts it to to swift at compile time you know that kind of thing so it's when you open source a language and you make like the whole api and the whole stack known you can do weird community stuff that you otherwise would not have been able to do yeah somebody i think it might have been zach holman maybe on twitter who's like after the open source announcement for swift he was like quick somebody make swift on rails <laughs> and it does seem like history would tell us that uh the most most of the successful open source projects i wouldn't dare to say all by any means um do have some official sponsorship or backing of an actual honest to god company so it's easy to bring up android um yeah. i don't think android has this much success without google behind it and uh part of you know you also mentioned like wordpress and some of these other platforms that they had to set up some kind of company alongside it to to really make it fly and most of the super high-minded pie in the sky stuff that doesn't have that kind of backing just kind of drifts around yeah i feel like the the really successful open source projects that are not um, backed by a company or a organization of some kind are usually incredibly important and incredibly not sexy. Um, yeah. It's like no like, one wants to own this, but it needs to exist. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, one of the, the terrible, horrible bugs that happened uh, mid last year. I don't remember if it was Heartbleed or Shellshock or one of them, but it turned out that the guy who maintained that library was literally a guy <laughs> who like one guy in like Norway who barely made like a minimum wage and re- got almost no money in it's donations. Like, why are you all mad at me? <laughs> got no support here. Yeah. I mean, and that was the thing is, is a lot of, you know, geeks and nerds and developers and people like that. No idea. Cause why would you need to know that? Yeah. So he actually, he ran like an Indiegogo or one of those, you know, like crowdfunding kind of things. And, and he got like a bunch of money. Um, and he said, he was like, it's going to go into this foundation. It's, it'll be controlled. It'll all go toward, you know, supporting work on this project. But it was like part of the stack that's required for like basic encryption on the internet. It's like, you kind of need that to work. <laughs> yeah. Someone, whether it's Google or Apple or Microsoft or, Sven, like, Sven. It, I'm sorry, I cannot remember the the man's name, but it needs to work. You know, was really that the weird well cousin in Ren and Stimpy, Sven. I don't remember. Oh, that was oh, that was Ren and Stimpy was a great show. If you were our age at the time it was on the air, I'm sure if I tried to go back and watch it now as an adult, I'd be like, Ugh. so yeah, Sven Hoek is the cousin of Ren. Yep. Yeah, and he yeah. <laughs> this, I'm, I'm gonna leave he myself turns out to a, be uh, just as stupid as stimpy yeah and yeah so they got along really well i'm gonna <laughs> yeah. leave myself a note uh to put a picture of sven into the show notes which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash oh my god 70 not actually oh my god 70 just 70. <laughs> seriously 70 it's amazing um so yeah this this thing with swift i'm i'm pro this i like I like Apple doing this kind of stuff. Yep. We'll see if anything interesting comes of it other than just, hey, this is good for OS 10 and iOS development. So and there's watch a crap OS. ton. Yeah. 
There was a, I was going to guess either multitasking or watch OS. Is watch OS the one you want to talk about? Sure. Let's do watch OS. <laughs> um, was, it, was I wrong? Was it multitasking? No. <laughs> was it neither? Come I mean, on, they're, Mike, both, they're, both in, minds. they're both interesting. It's just, uh, <laughs> there's only so much time and who cares? But, <laughs> um, I do, I mean, maybe we should have saved one of the more interesting big debate topics for the end, but no. Um, <laughs> but no, it's the, the watch. I mean, the watch got so, so some interesting, uh, Apple catch up and stealing details. Um, they got a feature they're calling time travel that looks a lot like Pebble Time's timeline view. Um, yeah, which um, Android Wear's new view also is kind of the uppy, downy, swipey. It's not quite past, present, future, but I think that timeline view really struck a chord with these wearable yeah. developers. Well, I get it because, like, I have on my watch during the work, I have like I've already segregated into my weekday watch face and my weekend watch face because I don't typically care about the calendar events as much on the weekend, um, but. I've already had that where like I'm looking and it's like, oh, this meeting I'm in for the next two hours, but what's the next meeting? And I don't want to have to open the calendar app to see the next meeting. And so that's where that feature makes a lot of sense of like, well, I just want to scroll a little bit and just see what is next. No, it makes tremendous sense, which is why I'm not so props to Pebble for getting there sooner. Yeah. Too bad. It may not matter long term for their life. Um, I mean, I don't think the Pebble time was ever, in strong competition with the Apple watch, not no competition, but not strong. Yeah. Just cause on iOS, they're never going to get the, the access they need to make like long-term as well and integrated of a product. And arguably they, I mean, they'll have more luck on Android, but still, I mean, Google may save some sweet sauce for their own Android wear that isn't as equally provided to third parties. Yeah. And they'll always be the limitations of the, the platform they chose, you know, I mean, it's, it's e-ink. It's not a rich screen. It's, there's just, it's buttons. It's not a touch screen so that the battery lasts longer. And I mean, those are, you get things for those trade-offs, but they are trade-offs. And, you know, maybe this is the Stockholm syndrome of being an Apple watch owner, but like the battery life has never bothered me on this yet because I'd never Never is a strong word. I don't think I'm ever going to sleep with my watch on. And so, like, dropping it on a wireless charger is not that big of a deal when I'm setting my glasses down at the same time. And right now it's like 10.30. I've been wearing this watch since 7.30, and it's got 57% left. I Pretty think damn good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, that's my argument. Like, I love, uh, you know, when I had your Pebble that I was kind of field testing, like, the fact that I didn't have to think about charging it was awesome, but I'm absolutely right there with you. It, If it can make it through a day, absolutely no question make it through a day, then that's good enough. Yeah. If there's um, any question I'm going to need to charge it during the day, that's unacceptable. But if I can get to you know 1030 at night and I still have close to 60% battery, it's good enough. I can't remember. I mean, I've had it for like six weeks or something, but... I can't remember seeing like a number lower than like 40 on the, the battery. <laughs> it yes, just hasn't happened yet. <laughs> do you, and do you find yourself using it to like control your Apple TV or control, you know, play pause music on your iPhone? Like, are, are you interacting with it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's mostly notifications and actually it's kind of like 
during the day, like say you're at your desk at work and your phone's lighting up all day, they used to really kind of psychologically bother me. I'd just be like, shut up. Like, uh, <laughs> and like, yeah, yeah, customize. Yeah, turn off those apps. You don't like, whatever. Like, of course, yeah, you can always tweak your settings to try to control that. But I can have a slightly higher volume because I know if it's, I lift my arm and it's like, oh, it's just a stupid Facebook thing. I just put my arm down and I'm done. And it's not like this big thing waiting for me. It's like dismissed immediately. And I think that just takes some of the pain out of it. So it's it's mostly triage of like, that's important, that's not important. I'll deal with it later in either case. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I think that's actually the big, other than maybe the fitness stuff, um, I think that's kind of the big niche that a, uh, a wearable right now really services really well is that kind of like, is this worth taking out my phone for? Is this worth unlocking my laptop for? No? Yeah. Okay. Yes? Right this minute? No? Okay. <laughs> yes? Okay. And then I have to go take it yeah. right away. Like it's, it's, that's a really useful thing in our modern busy lives. <laughs> but that said, I still feel like we're, we're waiting for stuff to emerge that's a lot more interesting and cool. Cause I mean, I think it's kind of like, the early smartphones it's like well it gets email and you can make calls and now who really cares that much about how special it is to get email on your phone it's really yeah, mundane. most people complain about it yeah and and the phone wow that is a an app that almost doesn't need to exist anymore and so it's like is, is the watch in a similar position of like yeah it tells time ha 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 i'm funny um but you know what are the things that this thing's going to do? Assuming it's a, a viable product category, and I think it is. Um, what are the things that we don't know yet that people are going to invent for this form factor? And and the fact that it's even more than the phone, always ready to be looked at. It's like always in a position of like, yep, I'm ready to glance. Yeah, and I think there may even be. I, unfortunately, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but there's probably notifications that I don't even want on my phone, but I might want on my wrist, you know, like, uh, I could, there, there are probably good opportunities where it's like, I wouldn't want my phone to vibrate for this, but on my wrist may like, you know, if I'm uh, maybe a fitness thing, I'm sure there's a lot of fitness apps that probably already do this, but I wouldn't want my phone to buzz if I was using my phone to track my run with how far I had run. Because I'm not going to stop and pull my phone out. Yeah. But if the watch buzzes and it's like, hey, you've run a kilometer now, you've run two kilometers, like I might glance at that because, like you said, it's immediately. But you don't want it sitting in an inbox with a red number saying, hey, you ran a mile. (laughs) Yeah, exactly right. So there are probably use cases for a wearable that are not an extension of the phone, but are actually unique just to that, you know, platform. And that's. Yeah. I, I'm 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 hopeful. I'm optimistic. Like I'm I'm with you. I think this is a solid uh, product space that <laughs> we'll see, we'll see like some really cool stuff come out of. Um, where head wearables? I'm not as sure. Pendants, maybe. Yes, pendants. <laughs> I know you want your eye pendant. <laughs> you have to realize now, though, with the the announcement of uh, Apple pay and apple watch and apple music that eventually <laughs> it would have to be the apple pendant yes. so you will never have your dream eye pendant man they're just throwing apple in front of every single product now 
Wasn't it about damn time to retire the eye thing? I guess, but are we just going to be like, oh, is this better? Or is this worse? Well, you know, and th- this is this is where Twitter proved incredibly intuitive and useful today. Um, not intuitive, informative. Nothing's intuitive. Um, they, they, uh, so, someone tweeted that the benefit to Apple of doing this is not just the like, oh, it's the new thing or it's the next thing. This is how we name new things. But companies can't co-opt this the way they did with I. That's true, because they can Everybody, actually go after them for trademark infringement. Exactly. Everybody ripped off I, like I speakers, I nose plugs, I beef. Like there's just freaking I everything because it's not the kind of thing you can own. They own Apple, though. And if you make something that's meant to work with an Apple product and you put the word Apple in front of it, you would not have a very good <laughs> no. copyright claim. So that's, that actually, I mean, and Apple's super protective of their brand and blah, blah, blah. Like that makes a lot of sense to me. And I mean, I'm just, whether it's, it's better or worse than having I in front of everything, I'm just really tired. (laughs) So, So tired of I being in front of everything. We do have to mention, cause we, we gave all those props to Swift for being open sourced that, uh, complications, which is still funny to me, um, (laughs) Complications on the watch are now uh, third partyable. You can uh, yeah. you can third party complications. Which, to be clear, this isn't full on. You can create your own watch faces, which I think will come eventually. But Apple's clearly not ready for that. They're not ready <laughs> for that level of commitment in this relationship. But um, yeah, so the and if you're unfamiliar, so on a lot of watch faces on Apple Watch, and I think on is it just the same on Android Wear. Uh, complications. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they don't treat them that way, but they're about. Okay. Well, anyway, it's basically, you can customize the watch face to show different information you want to see. And the, the news is that Apple is allowing third parties to feed in information into these complications. And so I could presumably have a Twitter <laughs> complication. So my latest mention would just be on my watch face instead of the date or the battery level or whatever. And I mean, can you do you can you think of any that you like care about? Maybe, well, maybe the song like you're your, your to inbox or, or yeah. Um, Ooh. See, I, but then so this is kind of getting to <laughs> Apple was resistant for so long and still resistant, truly, on having any form of widgets in iOS. And maybe they see that as the watch's function. It's like, oh, that's where widgets go. It. Well, they crammed them up into the notification yeah, shade right no now. No one cares about that view. No, no, they do not. That's something I will have to continue to give to Android. Their notification shade is far and away superior. Yeah, which I do love that the most diehard iOS people I know are still like, ooh, that notification shade. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's nice. It's good to have something on our side. <laughs> Got plenty on your side since yeah, this is do. a war. <laughs> <apparently>. <laughs> well, and uh, so you know that last uh, week with Google I/O, they rumored the uh, the the Nexus Five 2015 version, which will like go back to the slightly smaller form factor and have USB-C and blah and all this other whatever. But all I care about is. If it has a fingerprint unlock, now that that's part of Android M, because I was like, I will ditch Touch, touch Wiz so fast 
If I can get a Nexus device with this fingerprint unlock. But that camera, what if the Nexus has just takes crap photos? Then that would be unfortunate. But I I actually am not that big of a picture taker. I'm I like to be in photographs. I've never been a big person who takes photographs. <laughs> I that probably sounds like cartoonishly vain, but it's it's true, I guess. Like I just don't take a lot of pictures. And anything I do take a picture of, I'm You're just sure an outlier in everything, apparently. No, I think it's just <laughs> that I don't pretend to care about things I don't care about if I can avoid it. I mean, like, I want to take good photos, but what is, like, what counts as good? Like, if if I'm taking a picture of my daughter... Properly exposed, just, not smeared with Vaseline. Well, yeah, but we <laughs> haven't, haven't we crossed that milestone already? Like, I feel like... If I can send a picture of like my daughter playing to her grandparents, like that's and they know what it is, they're not like, "Who is this in this photo?" <laughs> you just want them to be able to identify distinct shapes. It's <laughs> good enough photo for you. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's not go crazy. There should be some basic outlines, maybe hints <laughs> of motion and depth of field. But generally speaking, I honestly feel like. The Nexus S that I had like five or six years ago, probably everything from there has been gravy. Like those took pictures that I was happy with and everything since then I've just been like, Hey, it's better. Awesome. Yeah. I I mean, I don't, I don't have cameras that bother me or more like the, the quickness that I could take a picture with. Yeah. I mean, I don't have direct experience with all the devices to have my own opinion on this. It just seems like the internet's consensus is like, yeah, certain Windows phones have really great cameras, the S6 and certain other flagships, and then the iPhone, and then everything else is just shit for photos. But don't you... Okay, I'm, and I'm that even for- some of these phones, the shit ones and the good ones, share the same lens or sensor. And that is well, just like a weird reason of like I'm, this company clearly didn't care. I'm not promising I'm going to try and go find this article, but I feel like this is lossless music. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people look at these two different devices or these four different devices and they say like, well, this one has a better F-stop. This one has better image sensor. <laughs> this one, blah, blah, blah. Therefore, it's a better camera but they're not actually comparing photographs taken by the two cameras. And I remember, I think the verge had an article where they took a bunch of photos and then they had people pick the one they liked best. And across the board, it was not the best camera that won. Yeah. So that's just like people like the compression of MP3s, even if it's in some scientific sense, less accurate. Well, I think it's just the things that people look for in a quality photo are not the things that make a technically high quality captured image. Like it, I know that sounds really stupid, but I mean, if, if I take a, you know, like a stupid party selfie, if the background is all like black and washed out because the flash went off, people look at that photo and they're like, I can see the faces and the faces are what's important. Therefore that's a good picture. You know what I mean? Like it's, what people are looking for in a photograph is not necessarily like a snapshot of reality captured forever digitally. Yeah. But these companies got to find some marketing campaign to, to rest on. 
I know, but <laughs> that's why I feel like the lossless music is a good comparison because I think people take spec sheets for cameras and phones and compare them. Whereas yeah. like Apple, to their credit, what do they do? They put billboards that are 60 freaking feet tall with giant, beautiful pictures, and the caption says, shot on an iPhone 6. And there's no that, megapixels. There's no nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's compelling because it's like, holy crap, that's a great photo. Give me the camera that took that great photo. But yeah. seeing like what the f-stop is, I'm like, I don't even know what that is. I just know it has a funny looking f. <laughs> All right. We have veered very far off. <laughs> I think we should kill this. <laughs> All right. So if you want to find the show notes for this episode, uh, you can go to sunriserobot.net slash flipping tables slash 70 for this episode. Um, Mike and I both love feedback. So definitely reach out to us. Tell us what we got wrong, what we got right. Uh, hashtag flipping tables is also a good way to uh, get a hold of us. I am at lines and beta on Twitter and Mike, you are at Medwards music. Um, if you like the show and if you're listening, I assume you do, you can make it easier to get new episodes every week by subscribing. And, uh, I like to subscribe in pod pocket casts on Android. Mike, you're still using overcast.fm, right? Yep. It's great. Uh, Apple to their credit. This is something iOS has. There is a built-in podcast app. Android still You're killing me, guys. What happened it's to a- Google Listen? No, let's not worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, if you want to support us a little bit more directly than subscribing, uh, we do have Patreon, sunrise, or, uh, patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And uh, depending on the level you support at, you may get a little uh, shout out there at the end of the episode. So our super gold diamond ultra platinum El Capitan supporters are uh, <laughs> Bruce Edwards, Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, and Andreas Longa. We love you guys. Thank you for helping us keep the lights on. Yes, we love you. And we will see you next week. <laughs>